A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Qatar 2022, the most unprecedented and controversial World Cup ever. FIFA and football tournaments are meant to be safe spaces. The most politicised and politically problematic World Cup in history. And that goes beyond the deaths of, of migrant workers. Obviously, Qatar will be held accountable. The first ever World Cup held in the Middle East. So Qatar is in sight. This is now the future is the World Cup in Qatar. The next 28 days of action will eventually bring us a world champion. The first ever World Cup in the middle of the season in winter. And there we have it. The Premier League will now take a pause ahead of the Winter World Cup in Qatar. And for winners Argentina, it was the tournament of a lifetime. Argentina are the champions of the world! In this special programme, we'll look back and reflect on yet another chapter in this stunning global soap opera as told by us, the TalkSport team. We were out in Qatar and brought you all the drama. I'm Natalie Sawyer and this is TalkSport Story of the Qatar World Cup. In the middle of November, the domestic season for players all around the world was put on hold, with attention quickly shifting to the World Cup in Qatar. For those plying their trade in the Premier League, there was no more than a week between club football finishing and the tournament getting underway. But it wasn't just the players who were getting themselves prepared. A lot had been made about the World Cup being hosted in Qatar, with concerns around the human rights record of the country rife in the build-up. So how did the TalkSport team feel ahead of leaving for Doha? Hi, I'm Jim White, uh, the host of Jim White and Simon Jordan, live every weekday morning on TalkSport. I was in no way apprehensive about what I was going to. I knew about the underlying issues. I had been out there in the summer and I'd met up with the chief executive of the World Cup, Nasser Al-Qatar. And he was quite receptive to the questioning about a Winter World Cup being held in a country like Qatar with all its laws and regulations, with its religious beliefs. Hi, I'm Dean Ashton, former England centre-forward. It was definitely very different to what had been reported or, or, or lots of reports, and there was a, a genuine pride from the people in Qatar of having the World Cup there and being able to showcase it and us being part of it as well, and that definitely came across. I'm Ian Danter, TalkSport match commentator for a fifth World Cup. It's natural to, to to be apprehensive. You know the responsibilities that you have to broadcast into people back home who can't be there. Add to that all the political shenanigans that were going on and, and, and what we were hearing every single day, something different. Hi, this is Simon Jordan. Now, of course, I was mindful, obviously, of the societal issues around the positioning of migrant workers' rights and the human rights transgressions that occurred there. And of course, understanding the LGBT rights issues in terms of the lack of quality for certain communities. So I went over there with uh, an element of, hmm, I, I, I'm not entirely sure of this. My name is Joe Shannon and I am a commentator for TalkSport. Obviously there were mixed feelings about it. It is a tournament that has been shrouded and I think rightly so in controversy. You look at the history, the culture of a country like Qatar, and you'd have to think, and I think most people would probably hope that a nation like Qatar hosting a World Cup is something of, of an aberration. I think our experiences were very positive. That said, I think our experiences were quite sanitised. I'm Adrian Durham, privileged to host at World Cup 2022 in Qatar. You know, wherever we go for these tournaments, we're always warned about the dangers. There are all sorts of safety and security briefings, and they're really good as well. They're really informative. 
My overriding feeling was excitement. So uh, I'm lucky to be going to a country where I can make more discoveries and where there's going to be a load of top level football. I felt privileged for sure. The story of Qatar 2022 began at the Albate Stadium in Doha with the opening ceremony. Adrian Durham was hosting live for TalkSport. On February the 11th, 2008, the then FIFA president, Sepp Blatter, was enjoying a beautiful banquet laid on for him in luxurious surroundings by the Qatari Emir, just a few miles from here. By the end of that feast, the bloated Blatter beamed a smile and then made a statement that would make everyone in the room happy. Ten words that would have some serious and tragic repercussions for years to come. He said, we are going to bring the World Cup to Qatar. Nearly 15 years on and that promise has been delivered, but not by Blatter. He's banned from football. So is the Asian Football Federation president, who was also in the room that night. In fact, so many FIFA executives who oversaw this World Cup coming to Qatar have been totally discredited and banished from the beautiful game. But while their grubby greed was being exposed, lives were lost, hurriedly building the stadia and the infrastructure needed in this country for this tournament. So, as the opening ceremony gives us fun and fireworks, and as the first blow of the referee's whistle gets the football flowing, and even if a week before Christmas, Harry Kane or Gareth Bale is lifting that gleaming golden trophy, we must never forget what it took to get us to this point. This is the world's biggest football tournament. This is the world's biggest sports radio station. You're with TalkSport live in Qatar on the day the most controversial World Cup ever gets underway. Within minutes of the first game starting, it seemed we had controversy on the field, with Ecuador having a goal ruled out against the host Qatar, and no one understood why. Volley across the edge of goal, and a Valencia heads Ecuador in front. There's a goal check on the, the big screen. The ball came in, there was no offside when the ball was originally delivered. Now, was Valencia offside when the ball was put across the face of goal? No. No, there were two players in front of him. Why has that been given for offside? Eventually, the offside was explained and Ecuador went on to win the game 2-0 as Qatar became the first host nation to lose the opening game of a World Cup. Lovely first-time ball. Valencia! 2-0 Ecuador! Fantastic header from Ana Valencia! And there's a difference between fantasy and reality. The fantasy of being picked for a squad to represent your country at your first ever World Cup. And then the reality of coming up against top-level opposition. After all the talk, Qatar 2022 then was underway and our very own Sam Ellard was on the ground chatting to fans as the atmosphere around the tournament continued to build. Three England fans in particular had already been enjoying themselves. We ended up playing with a lion. Tell me more. So we went to, uh, ended up going back to um, the Sheik's cousin's um, house and uh, we had the lion in his back garden. So we were sitting in his, he came us back, he was... Um, Razzing us round Doward and it was it was brilliant. Wasn't but when it? you say you played with the lion, you yeah. got up close and personal with the yeah, lion. Yeah, I was on the floor with it with a with a four no, month. No, you're a brave man, no. With a four month year old, four, four month old lion. Four month was. old it was. It was lovely. Just wanted to play. Day two of the World Cup saw England kick off their campaign with a spectacular six-two thrashing of Iran. It's Six in a moment because they're on the front foot again. An opportunity to draw the ball back for Grealish! Half a dozen for England on a fantastic night. Jack Grealish adds to the tally. It is underlined that there is still room for improvement, but this has been a great night for England. It's finished. England six, Iran two. TalkSport presenter Adrian Durham and England legend Stuart Pearce were there for TalkSport. Going into the Iran game, that was on the back of not one for six or seven games. So the pressures of the first game at a World Cup, the pressures of uh, being involved in that, and to actually come out and put a performance on like that was incredible. And you always need to kick off with a victory to put you in a commanding position in a group, and we certainly done that. I think the contrast between what happened in the Nations League when England were useless and not just beating Iran, but absolutely destroying them, was so huge that, yeah, you'd, you'd be forgiven for getting excited about that. And I did get excited about it. I thought, hang on a minute, this is all coming up together at the right time. However, they did concede two goals, and I think that kept everybody's feet on the ground. I don't think I came away from that thinking England are going to go and win the World Cup, but I came away very happy that they were over those Nations League Blues. Wales were embarking on their first World Cup in 64 years and the hopes of a nation were resting on the shoulders of Rob Page's men. 
Former Wales forward Dean Saunders spoke of his joy at being able to finally watch his team at a World Cup. George Best never played in the World Cup. Ryan Giggs, yeah. Ian Rush, Neville Southall, mm -hmm. you know, top players who never played in the World Cup. So, 64 years, we've got there. I mean, I'm just pleased we've got here, no matter what happens. Yeah. But when your professional pride takes over, we've got USA today, and the players will be thinking they can win it. They failed to get off to a winning start, though, but fought back from a goal down to rescue a point against the USA. Gareth Bale up against Matt Turner. Bale steps up left foot, he makes no mistake! Drives it high into the net, and Wales have their first goal at a World Cup Finals since 1958. And no surprise, it is Gareth Bale, the man who has scored it. The following evening at the LaSalle Stadium, we were treated to our very first shock of the World Cup. And what a shock it was. The shot comes in, oh, it's a goal! And it's a wonderful goal! What a terrific strike it is from Salim Dazri And Saudi Arabia are in front. Argentina, one of the favourites for the World Cup, are pegged back at the start of the second half. Argentina have beaten the greatest day in Saudi Arabian football in history. The following day, we were treated to yet another upset as Germany took on Japan. Schroederbeck is struggling here. Oh, what a goal from Asano! And Japan have turned it around. And the Japanese bench empties in utter delight and jubilation. One of the big World Cup wins of the last 50 years. Germany won. Japan too. Former Republic of Ireland forward Tony Cascarino was co-commentating on the game for TalkSport. Well, being on CoCom and experiencing, which I thought was a very energetic Japanese team that really wanted to take the game to Germany. Germany could have been at least a couple up at half-time and then watching a coach go, right, what about if we put these players on up front and we'll go top-heavy, because that's what they did. They nearly, nearly got three... Well, they probably had three straight away in the second half and then ended up with four strikers. And when it got to 1-1, I thought, oh, now they'll revert to type, Japanese team. Did they? Heck. It was so great to watch. And not because it was beating Germany. It was the fact that this Japanese team really just didn't hold back on the way they were playing. That was brilliant to see. Having drawn their opener with the USA, Wales knew they had to get a positive result against Iran to be sure of keeping their World Cup knockout hopes alive. Sadly, it didn't go as planned. Wales are wide open, it could be 2-0, it is. A second goal for Iran, scored by Ramin Rezaeen. And Wales' World Cup hopes are crumbling here in Al Rayyan. The final whistle goes and Iran can celebrate. What a day for them. Iran have responded superbly to their humbling loss against England and against the other UK side. It is a deserved victory. Full-time, Wales nil, Iran two. One Wales fan speaking to TalkSport was less than happy. I really expected a win today. I didn't go in thinking we were going to batter them. I thought we'd go in, I would take 1-0. I would just take a victory, but to lose 2-0, it's gutting, it's gutting, you know. And I think for Iran... It's probably their biggest victory they've had since the Iron Sheik beat uh, Bob Backlund at WrestleMania. We've got to go on and we've got to beat England. The best Welsh song ever is as long as we beat the English. And that's what it feels like now. It's just our final note was just to beat the English. And, uh, and hopefully by some miracle, I, I haven't worked out the results yet, but we go through. England and the USA played out a goalless draw at the Albate Stadium to leave both countries with the hopes of reaching Qatar 22's knockout stage very much alive. But there was a real feeling of disappointment around England's performance in that game. Talksport presenter Adrian Durham and England legend Stuart Pearce were there for Talksport. I was expecting a slightly better performance from England, I must say, and probably a lot of people 
were, I think, expectations were lifted so high against Iran that there was an expectation that the US was going to be an easy game. But I think subsequently, when you look at the, the, the US's results and performances, they were pretty strong, to be fair, and they're a tough team, well-organised team. And I think in Robinson and Pulisic, they had two players that, that really had a strong tournament. I was disappointed with the game and the England performance. There wasn't a lot of creativity there. And this is the thing. If you were in a game like that, where USA were well-organised and, and they, they kept us at bay, we had to get evidence in that game that Gareth knew what to do to try and break the opposition down. And clearly that didn't happen. But in the context of a group, it didn't matter. The day after the game, our very own Gabby Bonhall got to sit down for an exclusive interview with the England midfielder Jack Grealish. He felt bemused by the reaction to the result back home. Apart from Spain, are we the, the, the top scorers or something in the tournament, maybe? I can't think off the top of my head if there's anyone that scored more than six. But yeah, the other day against Iran, you know, we were the, we were the best thing since sliced bread, you know, scoring six goals and then... And then we go a game, you know, without scoring. And I think, yeah, there was a bit of an overreaction, but I suppose that's what you get sometimes, you know, playing for England. Gabby spoke about what it was like to sit down with Jack out in Qatar. I would never have thought I'd be interviewing Jack, ever. I said that to him, like, who would have thought this experience? And he's like a friend, you know, who I do care about and want to do well. And it was interviewing him and knowing that you're going to ask the right questions. So it was um, a different experience and quite funny. You know, you're trying to try and have a bit of banter, or really you want to just laugh at each other and maybe like, you know, have a, have, a, have a gossip and stuff, but you try to ask the right questions. I feel as a player, if you're doing an interview with someone you know and you trust, you can open up a bit more. You know, they're not trying to stitch you up. They're not trying to angle questions at you. And I feel like he felt like that. The big interviews didn't stop there, though. Jim White and Simon Jordan broadcasted live from Doha every weekday during the group stages and spoke to some huge names. Their interview with Hassan Al-Tawadi, one of the people responsible for bringing the World Cup to Qatar, went viral, most notably for his thoughts on England legend and renowned broadcaster Gary Lineker. He never bothered to engage. We reached out. We reached out many times. The latest, I think, if I'm not mistaken, was in February. In February, we reached out over three or four times, specifically requesting to engage with Gary to sit down and say, we understand your position, give us the opportunity to put our case in front, at least hear, hear us out. If you don't agree then, that's fine, that's your decision, and that's your, and, and that's your judgment, but we never got the chance. I, I'm disappointed that, we, that there was never the desire to listen to our part of the story. Here's what Simon and Jim both made of the interview. It was a tense experience because we went to them we were told to be at a venue, a restaurant, actually, on the outskirts of Doha at a certain time on the Sunday morning. And Hassan Althawadi would be there with some of his delegates. And there was quite a large number of people in who were listening to the interview. But tense or not at the outset, it soon became a very relaxed affair and a very relaxed atmosphere where, as I say, any points we wanted to make, we could make. And he answered them very honestly and openly. And again, it seemed to me that, yes, he was very happy to engage, but he was happy to be given the opportunity to engage. And that, to us, was crucial. Because you can go to a World Cup like that with all the controversy around it and not involve yourself in that. No matter how you cut it and how you slice and dice it, fact will always overtake sentiment. And the sentiment of the Western world is this is a corrupt country that bought a World Cup. It's got an awful human rights issue. Everyone's died, that migrant workers have died as a result of working on the World Cup project. And ultimately, their, their awful attitude and the baiting and switching of a tournament that should have been played in the summer are all as a result of, of, of the fruit of a poison tree. When you dig in beneath it and you talk to people like Alpha Wadi, they'll put their version of the truth across. And then you dig in the middle of it and you find out some more facts yourself. And it made me get into territories like reading the Garcia Report. The Garcia Report was a report that was produced by an independent person brought in, who was independent, he was the former US Attorney General, and the Garcia Report turned around and said that there was no evidence whatsoever of any corruption in awarding the World Cup to Qatar. So that sort of stuff came out as a result of having these conversations, having Hassan al want to represent the Qatari view. But also what came out of that was the second part of my question. How dare you get a World Cup that was bid for in the summer and get it provided in the winter? And I was quite not stunned because it's over egging the pudding, but surprised to be told in unequivocal terms, in no unequivocal terms, that we built the technology as we said we would do. We built the stadiums, we built the technology to be able to air condition the stadiums and the training grounds. But it was FIFA 
that turned around and said, "We, it's a new tech, we're not comfortable with it, so we'd prefer to move the World Cup to the winter. Now, all of a sudden, the two cornerstones of my principled argument about why this World Cup shouldn't be in Qatar have suddenly been eroded. It was truly becoming a World Cup of upsets as Morocco beat Belgium 2-0 to put Kevin De Bruyne and co at real risk of being knocked out. Ziyech calls it back, it's 2-0! Oh my goodness, they've done it! Zakaria Bukal! Joyous scenes as the Africans seal all three points and Belgium are condemned to defeat on match day two of Group F. Talk Sports' very own Ian Danter was on commentary duty for the game. Amrabat was the player that stood out for me, the defensive midfielder who sat just in front of the back four. I thought he stood out for me more than anybody else in that win over Belgium. And Belgium were woeful that day. Belgium came across to me as playing just like Capello's England did back in South Africa in 2010. Listless, absolutely no tempo, all the talent in the world, but no way of channeling it into a, a way that can get results. They were just appalling. But you could probably say that Morocco's ability to stifle them made them look even worse than they actually were. Then it was time for the big one, the Battle of Britain. Wales knew they had to beat England to stand any chance of reaching the knockout stages, but it was England who prevailed to top the group and send the Welsh home. That's a great ball on the top from Calvin Phillips. Rashford is in behind Connor Roberts, right-hand side of the area, checks, gets it onto his left foot, oh, fires it straight through Danny Ward for number three. And Marcus Rashford is now the joint leading scorer of the World Cup. And the full-time whistle signals the end of Wales' first World Cup campaign since 1958. The campaign that ends in frustration. Adrian Durham, Stuart Pearce and Dean Saunders were all there for TalkSport. When you get here, you think, brilliant, we've got to the World Cup. And now, right, all my family are coming over. The whole nation now can't wait for the World Cup. All I need to do is have a good World Cup. If you look at all three games, this is what the players will be disappointed. I didn't get a 7 out of 10 in yeah, any of the games. mentioned that. I was trying to pick the man of the match for Wales and I'm struggling. Listen, Wales, I think, will look back on the tournament with a lot of regrets. Decisions were made, you know, selections, substitutions, the way some players played, the attitude of some of the players you have to question as well. I wonder why Kiefer Moore was talking about knocking England out. I mean, just focus on yourselves. I think that's the more important thing. It's just like you know, playing to the crowd and it appealed to a, a lot of passionate Welsh fans, but it didn't really help them on the pitch so it was a little bit silly I thought that they were really poor so I didn't read too much into that result but England have won the group seven points from nine they've shown they can score goals they'd shown that after the two against Iran they could keep clean sheets as well the signs were good I think that's the best thing you could say after the group stage the signs were very positive in fact they were all positive I didn't think we started the matches I thought we started the Iran game pretty aggressively in our nature I don't think we started the subsequent two games after that particularly aggressively and that was a, a theme with me that stuck with me I would have liked to have seen us more aggressive and be on the front foot a little bit in our forward passing that type of thing there was controversy ahead of this World Cup around the treatment of LGBTQ plus people in Qatar Adrian Durham had an encounter ahead of this fixture that once again highlighted the issue. I had one experience which was not good at all. I was wearing an official FA Rainbow badge at every game. So for the first 11 games, which were at six different stadia, I had no problem whatsoever. I was allowed through with wearing the badge, no problem. Then I went to Wales, England at Ahmad Bin Ali Stadium. I was detained by security who, after refusing to answer my questions at first, eventually told me I was being held because of the badge. I had huge support from my TalkSport teammates close by. And at one point, there were nine security men around me who were telling uh, people to stay back, my colleagues to stay back, and telling others to stop filming as well. After a few minutes, I was feeling extremely uncomfortable. Eventually, they let me through. I kept the badge on, but it wasn't a positive experience. So, you know, expats in Qatar had told me that day-to-day -day in real life, there is no problem if you're in a same-sex relationship. But... I was treated like that for being an ally. So the law is in place, and if I was LGBTQ+, and in Qatar, I would definitely feel threatened. So if people say respect the rules in Qatar and you'll be fine, they're effectively saying it's acceptable to criminalise being in love with someone of the same sex. And I cannot subscribe to that point of view at all. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. As the group stages came to a close, we saw some huge shock eliminations with one day of action in particular stealing the show. Belgium will progress with a win. They can only qualify with a draw if Morocco lose against Canada. Jeopardy all over the shop. The Atlas Lions of Morocco look to qualify for the round of 16 for the first time since 1986. Then the series now on the burst into the penalty area. It's a brilliant goal. For Morocco, ball to the far post, Lukaku, oh he chests it straight into the keeper's arms, there's no more time, Belgium are out of the World Cup, the golden generation sinks to its knees. It promises to be another night of high drama at the 2022 World Cup. And the header directed into the net by Gnabry, and Germany do get that early goal. Have Japan scored twice in two and a half minutes, oh it's a goal, it counts. Germany and Spain are heading out of the World Cup. These are scenes that you just cannot believe. Havertz is in. Havertz has scored. Japan, that come from behind to win the group, and Spain are going to limp through with them. Germany and Costa Rica are out of the World Cup. Cameroon also shot the world by beating tournament favourites Brazil. They still exited the tournament thanks to Switzerland's win over Serbia, but that didn't stop last-minute goal scorer Vincent Abubakar celebrating in style. Abubakar took his shirt off to celebrate and has been booked the obligatory yellow card, but having already been booked for that rugby tackle a few minutes ago, he's been sent off. So Cameroon score, but they're down to 10 men. As the tournament moved into the round of 16, England were preparing for a big game with the African champion Senegal. Ahead of the game, TalkSport commentator and big Birmingham City fan Ian Danter got the opportunity to sit down with former Blues midfielder Jude Bellingham. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. You get the feeling that you could throw any question at him. He's got things to say and he's got a way about him that is very personable and he's got a way about him that's very engaging. And I think that transmits itself onto the pitch. The fact that he's clearly already at 19 years of age, so in charge of what's happening out there and pointing and gesticulating and asking for the ball and telling players where to position themselves around him. I think that's fascinating that he's got to that point before he's even out of his teens, that he's captaining his his club side, Borussia Dortmund, and he seems on this inexorable path to being the England captain, it seems to me. Uh, but in amongst that, he's just so friendly and approachable and warm and fun. And the story he told about the blue nose, there's a statue that lies on its side just near Cattell Road on its way to St Andrews. And he talked about the, the superstition of having to drive past that blue nose every day on his way to match day at St Andrews. I always loved going past the bit where, you know, it would have like, there's a rock on the way to the stadium and someone's like painted the nose blue. Yeah. And before games, I'd always go to my mom or my dad if he was, if they was dropping me, you've got to go past the blue nose because I think the game Stoke where I scored yeah. my home debut, we drove past it 
obviously I would have drove past it a million times, you know, going to the game as yeah. a fan. But then I went, I don't know why, before the Stoke game it was that way as well. And I said, every game we've got to go past the Blue Nose, we've always got to see the Blue Nose. <laughs> so yeah, that, that little Blue Nose rock. And now, you're not just a, a nose painted on, you've got your own face on a mural. Crazy, isn't it? Outside Crazy. the ground. With Sir Trevor, so yeah. I King know. Trevor. Not bad. Not bad See, we're all. just holding the 22 shirt ready for when you come back. Exactly. Helps yeah. win the Premier League title. Definitely, 100%. It was a lovely moment for me because I, I was lucky enough to watch his debut when he played at Portsmouth in the EFL Cup. What was that, 2019? Uh, amongst a number of young players. It's fair to say that many Birmingham City fans like me are living their lives vicariously through the progress that Jude is making. The pride that we all feel for what he has already achieved and what he, sh- what he is surely set to achieve, it's immeasurable. It's, it's wonderful. So to meet him was a definite highlight for me. You'd have to ask him whether it was the uh, other way around. France saw off Poland in their round of 16 game. Kylian Mbappe had everyone talking as he raced into the lead for the golden boot. Mbappe who curls it in and Kylian Mbappe is unstoppable. It's his fifth goal of this World Cup. Every goal he scores breaks another record. Then it was the turn of England as they breezed into the quarterfinals. Foden running right to the first chance, gets it in. Jude Bellingham once again stole the show for England as he had done in the group stages. TalkSport presenter Adrian Durham and Stuart Pearce were watching for TalkSport. Arguably the one player that everyone will pick out, so that just tells you something. 19 years old, incredible future in front of him. His mentality and attitude to want to take the game by the scruff of the neck. And in all honesty, I think his performance against Iran was probably one of the main drivers that drove England to that performance and result. As I say, he'll be the one that everyone remembers potentially from this World Cup who looks as though he's got a wonderfully bright future. But we've got some really good kids there, you know, Sackerley improved from it, Foden will, Grealish will, and a lot of good young players there that are ready to go on again. It's hard to believe Jude Bellingham's a teenager, given the performances he put in. Not just, you know, what he's like on the ball, it's off the ball as well, but it's also around the group. There was a brilliant interview that my colleague Ian Danter did with Jude Bellingham that it will stay in the memory for a long time and it showed just how good a kid Jude Bellingham is. I said during the tournament that I think he's going to be the world's best player. If you think about it, Kylian Mbappe's not old, so he's got a lot of competition there to be considered the world's best player. But I truly believe it. If you know manages his career correctly, gets right advice from people around him, which so far has been so good then he could well turn out to be the best player in the world. And I don't think that's too far away. He's a terrific footballer with high energy and England have got to use him right. And if they do, it could lead to a major tournament success. Japan had been one of the stories of the tournament, topping a group including Spain and Germany to reach the last 16. But it wasn't meant to be, as they came up against an experienced Croatia side who managed to get past them on penalties. Mario Pasalic can send Croatia through. He steps up, right-footed, and he makes no mistake. And the penalty kings from four years ago are at it again at the 2022 World Cup. Croatia, with tireless energy and coolness from 12 yards, are into the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Japan's brave, brave run comes to an end. And then we retreated to yet another stunning shock in this World Cup of upsets as Morocco knocked out the 2010 winners Spain. Hakimi strides back the number two, the biggest moment of his sporting life. He takes a big, deep breath, right footed. Oh, he has dinked it down the middle. It is Moroccan history. The Atlas Lions roar into the quarterfinals. A Penenka penalty down the middle, away from Unai Simon. They pile on top of him. The celebrations continue. Incredible scenes. It's penalty heartbreak for Spain again. Morocco have done it. TalkSport commentator Joe Shannon and former Republic of Ireland forward Tony Cascarino were on commentary duty for TalkSport. Just incredible. Morocco more than 
the sum of their individual parts, pushing themselves to levels that I don't think anybody had expected. For me, it's kind of summed up by, not actually by Hakimi in that amazing Penenka penalty, not even by the goalkeeper making his saves in the shootout, but by Roman Saiz, who we know in this country, in the Premier League with Wolves, raising his level to a height that I don't think any of us had ever seen. He was virtually knackered by the end of the game. At one stage, it looked like he was going to be stretched off. I think he had a, a hamstring injury. Well, I think they're going to try and carry him on here. They're going to bandage up the hamstring. And in a remarkable story, Saiz is going to try and continue. And this was a guy who kind of was going out almost with the attitude of he'd do anything for his country. He was coming up against players who on paper were probably better than him. And I think on paper that Spain squad is is better than that Morocco squad. But it just goes to show it is one of the reasons why I think it's the greatest game in the world because the underdog story is always possible. Well, Spain, you deserved it because of the way you attempted to play. And Morocco, you deserved it because of the way you attempted to play. And that was to have a go at Spain and know that you'll punish them if you get an opportunity. They were there. They were getting in boxes. They're wide men, Buffal one side, Ziak the other, Ikimi. They were all trying to get balls into the box. And I thought that they really took it to Spain. And you wouldn't have um, thought that before the t- tournament started, that it will be Morocco going after Spain. You'd have thought the other way around. Portugal then came alive against Switzerland with Ronaldo benched. Young Benfica forward Gonzalo Ramos stepped into the spotlight. Rodriguez sending the ball down through the midfield. Bernardo Silva picking it up, splits it through. Joao Felix, Gonzalo Ramos on a hat-trick, flicks it past the goalkeeper. It's a night he will never forget. What a story. What an introduction to international football for the young sharpshooter from Benfica. There were now just eight teams left in the tournament as we moved into the quarterfinal stages. After a two-day break, we were treated to arguably the biggest shock of the tournament so far as favourites Brazil took on Croatia. Marquinhos has to score to keep Brazil in the World Cup. Another experienced head. Can he find a way beyond Livakovic? No, he can't! He hits the post and Brazil are eliminated from the 2022 World Cup. Their 20-year wait for world glory continues. And it is Croatia who are the first team to book their place in the semi-finals. Former England forward Dean Ashton was on co-commentary duty for TalkSport. I think it shows that if you stay in any game, especially in this tournament, has shown that you can beat anyone. But it was a big, big surprise, very big surprise. Once Neymar had scored, I thought they would see that out and they were still my favourites at the time to win the tournament. So it was a big shock that they allowed themselves to be scored against. It's why we love this beautiful, beautiful game so much because you can just never, ever predict it. You know, Brazil, when after that Neymar goal, must have thought, this is it. We've made it. We're going to be through to the semi-final. Way over the top. To see Neymar being lifted up by Vinicius at, at that half-time period of extra time, yeah, it made me think, hang on, have you never watched Croatia before? This is what they do. They they come back in in tight games um, when you think they're tired. So it did surprise me. And, and with the goal that they conceded, that was just pure naivety of thinking you've got the game won to allow yourself to be 4v4 in the in the dying embers of a of an extra time when you're ahead, eventually it cost them. Talksport reporter Sam Ellard spoke to some devastated Brazil fans after the game. Raw emotion is 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 what I remember speaking to guys, sort of having to interrupt them and ask them a, a question that, you know, they they probably don't really want to speak, but you sort of just sort of asked them politely for a couple of minutes. And yeah, it was it was hurt. It was anger. It was frustration. My heart is broken. My heart is broken. Like we are young, we can watch another World Cup, but like it's terrible, terrible. We feel we feel broken. It was an average game for the our team. Yeah. And the result was uh, we deserve it. I don't know what to say, bro. I just so sad. The most sadness time in my life. It was a different experience. I think so much of this job. For me, it's been speaking about um, or speaking to fans who have just come off the back of a victory and uh, you know want to chat to you, want to dance with you. But yeah, I think Brazil were in were in shock. I think we all expected them to get past Croatia. They played very well that night. The Argentinians were buzzing that Neymar and Co had been dumped out of the tournament, but they still had a job to do themselves against the Netherlands. 
It was a game that had absolutely everything, including a World Cup record 18 yellow cards. Our very own Ian Danter was commentating on the game for TalkSport. I picked Argentina as my potential winners before the tournament because of the way they played in the qualifiers. And then, of course, Saudi Arabia go and beat them 2-1. From that moment on, the funny thing was for Argentina, because they were up against it, they've been playing tournament knockout football since the second match day. And I think that helped them. And it was just nuts. Argentina were 2-0 up and home and hose. And Messi looks to have sent Argentina through to another World Cup semi-final. And then... Wout Weghorst, what the dickens is going on there? It's 2-1! Wout Weghorst gives the Netherlands hope! On loan at Besiktas from Burnley, where he didn't have a great time. It was Sunday league stuff when uh, Leandro Paredes whacked the ball into the Dutch substitutes. That was proper Sunday league, that. And out they came, en masse, the whole Netherlands bench to remonstrate with him onto the pitch. Sliding challenge from Paredes. Oh, and then he cleans out Ake and then boots the ball, Paredes, into the Dutch substitutes and five or six of them race on to challenge Paredes and it's all got really ugly here. You know, there's bibs everywhere and, the, and Paredes, of course, is trying to stand his ground and it was niggly up to that point, but that challenge and the subsequent whack of the ball into the uh, Netherlands bench was proper S-housery from Paredes. He knew it. And he didn't get a yellow card for it. That free kick with the last kick of normal time to get things back to 2-2. To have the balls, to have that free kick routine ready to go and execute it as perfectly as they did. Wow. It's Coop Miners. Rolls into the area along the deck. It's in! It's in! It's brilliant by Val Beckhorst. He's got a brace and he's saved the Dutch. I mean, that takes real gumption and real nerves of steel from all concern, ice in the veins. I believe if they carried on playing the way that they were in the last 10 minutes of normal time, they could have knocked Argentina out. Again, you know, the penalty shootout is a complete flip of the coin. And as it turned out, they missed their first two penalties and never quite recovered the Dutch. It's Martinez against Noppert. Right-footed, scores! Argentina are through to the semi-finals. The penultimate quarter-final saw surprise package. Morocco take on Cristiano Ronaldo and Portugal. Could they dump out yet another big side? Cross it for Martiatella, looking for Ennisiri! And Morocco have scored! Yusuf Ennisiri beating Diego Costa to the high ball. And there is African delight all around this stadium. Morocco have done it again. It's all over. The full-time whistle has gone. And Morocco have done it. They are into the semi-finals. It is a victory for Morocco, a victory for Africa, a victory for the Arabic nation. History is made at the Alpha Mama Stadium. Former England forward Dean Ashton was on co-commentary duty for TalkSport. Well, first of all, I've never been in an atmosphere like it ever in my lifetime. I mean, the noise that the Moroccan fans created, the whistling was like ear splitting at times, you know, when Portugal had the ball and towards the end of the game and then the roar when they won, it just, you could tell how much energy that was giving, you know, the Moroccan players when they were tired, when they were getting cramped to be able to carry on. I think it affected Portugal as well and Spain. I think it affected them, the, the fact that they were so outnumbered in terms of support and the noise must have just been so off-putting that, yeah, it was it was an incredible match to be at. When the referee, Facundo Tello, raised his hands and blew that whistle, I just took my earphones off. I wanted to hear it. The noise was absolutely ear-shattering. Honestly, what it means to the Moroccan supporters, what it means to these Moroccan players and to their nation and the continent. Then it was the turn of England, who were all set to face the might of Kylian Mbappe in France. But like so many times before, it just wasn't meant to be for England. So, how are you feeling? For more than eight months, this game, this night, has been on the cards. England-France in a World Cup quarter-final. Griezmann for Chouameni, who shoots from distance and scores. 25 yards out. It's Kane against Lloris to tie it up at 1-1 in the World Cup quarter-final. He scores! Back 
to have for Griezmann on the left-hand touchline. Giroud attacks that and scores! Flying header from Olivier Giroud. And France lead again. And there's another shove inside the penalty area. It's a long ball. He's launched forward and again. It's a penalty to England again. Harry, your country is well and truly behind you. He hits it. Right footed. Oh, he's blasted it over the bar. He's missed it. He's whacked it over the bar. It's a glorious opportunity to get back on level terms. The full-time whistle blows, and it blows to signal the end of another England World Cup campaign. Beaten quarter-finalists. It has a familiar ring to it. TalkSport presenter Adrian Durham and England legend Stuart Pearce gave their reaction to the defeat. I thought we'd be the better team, to be quite honest with you. France scored two goals at critical times within the game you know at the time when the second goal come um, I don't think there was any build up to it it was just a wonderful cross and a wonderful header and finish once again we got ourselves back in the game put pressure on the French at the end of the game you know if you miss a penalty at a critical stage you're always going to be under a little bit of pressure we're always thinking to ourselves if that would have gone in that penalty I think there's not too many of us certainly in, in the English ranks that would have thought that we wouldn't have gone on and won the game. There'll be a little bit of frustration, but depends which way you look at it. I look at it as a real plus and think there's nothing to fear at a major World Cup, you know. And we're in a growing process still, I think, and I think the future is very bright for us. I look back at the details of the game. I think a taller keeper saves the Shuamani goal. Harry Kane's got to score his penalty. I think addressing the issues on the right-hand side mean that the cross doesn't come in for Giroud's goal. So there's things that you could level towards Gareth Southgate. But in reality, would anybody have picked a different keeper to Jordan Pickford? Probably not. Did anybody really want to take Bukayo Saka off? No. But he'd been kicked to bits. So he wasn't really fit enough to do the defensive job needed. So the details of the defeat to France leave a lot of questions. Um, the refereeing performance was pretty poor, but I can't say, hand on heart, that that was the reason why England went out. So it was yet more England heartbreak at the World Cup as they bowed out at the quarter-final stage. Just four teams remained in the tournament, though, so who would make that all-important final? First up, it was Lionel Messi against Luka Modric as Argentina took on Croatia. puts it in. It's 3-0. Argentina are going through, and it's Lionel Messi that takes the spread a claim of everybody here in Lucille and across the entirety of Argentina. He's rolled back the years again. It's another classic Messi World Cup moment. TalkSport presenter Adrian Durham was hosting live from the Lucille Stadium and was in awe at Messi's magic. Sitting next to Stuart Pearce as Argentina are doing what they're doing and Messi's doing what he's doing, he was dropping his microphone, applauding. He was laughing because he couldn't believe what he was seeing. And this is somebody who had a career at the very top level of the game. He was brilliant. He was an England captain. So many caps, 78 caps for England, a World Cup semi-finalist, a Euro semi-finalist. He won domestic honours. You know, this is somebody who had a very special career and he's just laughing in disbelief and joy at what Messi is doing out on the pitch. It was a, an honour and a privilege to watch what Lionel Messi was doing. A very special player. I, I'm so lucky that I've seen him so many times, but to do that in that semi-final, he was outstanding. He was special. For me, the true GOAT. But who would join Messi and co in the final? Surprise package Morocco took on the world champions France at the Albate Stadium. It's dream final, penciled in. Argentina against France. Messi versus Mbappe, the GOAT against the world champions. But wait, there are two teams involved tonight. And along with that political history, Morocco have created a football sensation. It drops towards Mbappe, who curls it. It's blocked, but it comes towards Hernandez with the volley. And France take the lead. Teo Hernandez from close range. And the French supporters heavily Numbered, celebrating the stadium, and France are back in the World Cup final. But the story really 
is Morocco. They have been magnificent on and off the field throughout this World Cup. They gave it absolutely everything here this evening. At times, they outplayed some of the best players in the world. They deserve so much credit, but it's France who will play for the prize that really matters. We were all set for a mouth-watering final then, as two of the world's very best went head-to-head -head for the ultimate prize. It was time for Messi versus Mbappe, and it didn't disappoint. It's been a long way for Argentina, 36 years since their last. Maradona inspired success. A year almost to the day after that triumph in the central provincial city of Rosario came the birth of a man who became the heir to Maradona's throne. And tonight, Lionel Messi embarks on his 26th and final World Cup game, hoping to add the prize to the plaudits. Messi scores! Argentina lead! Messi has his moment of history! Messi with a sublime touch, Alvarez works it through. What a good opportunity this is for Argentina! It's put on the plate, Di Maria makes it too. It is a thing of beauty. Rabiot chipping it forward. Little give and go, and Mbappe's in! Oh, it's 2 2! He scored twice in two minutes! And Kylian Mbappe has turned the World Cup final on his head! 2 2 with another 30 minutes to come. Here's Messi. Oh, clever play! Right hand side of the penalty area, Lloris makes a save! It's tapped in by Messi! It's over the line! And Lionel Messi has just written his own piece of history. Can Kylian Mbappe keep France in the final and keep them with a chance of retaining the World Cup? Right foot and he's hit it into the bottom left-hand corner. Mbappe has a hat-trick. He has his place in history. We've got a penalty shootout to come. Montiel, who went third in the quarter-final and scored. And if he can replicate that here, it is Argentina's night. The roar will let you know if he scores. He's going to hit it right footed. Argentina are the champions of the world. Lionel Messi pens the ultimate ecstatic chapter to complete his already extraordinary story. For the first time since Maradona in 1986 and for the third time in their history, Argentina had won the biggest prize in football. Finally, Messi had his hands on the famous World Cup, cementing his legacy as one of the greatest to ever play the game. There we had it then. The 2022 World Cup in Qatar was over and it belonged to the man they call the GOAT. You've been listening to TalkSport's story of the Qatar World Cup with me, Natalie Sawyer.